After further review, as this is one of Frank's favorite songs. Do not listen to him. <laughs> he is selling you snake oil. We don't sell snake oil, but we provide an entertaining and thought-provoking sports show on 88.3 WXUT. Saturdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. And sometimes we provide a life lesson. Ain't that right, Frank? Life lesson, my ass. Don't be a hater. And tune in to AFR Saturday mornings, 11 to 1 on WXUT. Fula. After further review, I'm your host, Derek Lawson here with with David the man that got Harris. He is in his car, so we'll try to see if it sounds pretty good for you. But we're going to talk about the NBA Finals here as it's June 1st here on 88.3 WGTs. After further review and uh, your thoughts on the game, uh, David. Yeah, so it sounds a little bit better knowing that Golden State down 0-1, just considering the rest of the country outside of California wants Golden State to lose. But I think more of the series was about kind of just an evolution of what we saw all regular season from Toronto. If Kawhi has a relatively decent night or not that A-plus top five player in the league kind of performance like he did in the Eastern Conference semis and then the semifinals and then the finals. You look at a guy like Pascal Siakam, who was the entire season number two option, maybe number three early on. But he's really been kind of throughout the season a pretty decent player. And we saw throughout this playoff how Siakam is really taking on kind of that number two kind of position within Toronto, at least on the offensive side of the ball. And then we know defensively, just with his size, his length, I want to say his ability to guard all five positions, kind of, if he can develop that, he could be a poor man's Giannis or a poor man's Kawhi Leonard. But it was really, you know, game one, the intensity, Jurassic Park. We knew that the home kind of crowd was going to feed Toronto and give them at least a couple of points here or there, and we saw late in the game, kind of as they made runs late, the crowd got into it, kind of almost tore the roof off the building. But then if I'm going state, you know, two or three mistakes, we're winning that game, and we're up one now. And so you have to compliment and give Toronto credit for the role that they did and the role players stepping up. But then we know that Steph is always good for it, Crazy game, play can do the same. We know Bookie Cousins isn't going to isn't going to play as limited minutes as he's working back to go get more and more minutes. And then the turnovers on the offensive end, like they clean those up, it's an entirely different story because that's at least you know four to six points right there. And then in the heat of a closed game, anything can happen if the momentum shifts. Yeah, you're right. Um, I think maybe possibly somewhat of it is that the fact that the, the the Warriors had a lot of days off. 
and you, you could kind of tell. And that's the one thing you say, rest over rust. I think having nine to ten days off affects your timing. I mean, especially in the pros. Everybody's talented. But when it comes down to timing and execution, that's pretty important, especially in, in the finals and later on in the playoffs and your regular season games. You know, you, you, you basically, those are warm-up games. You can be out for with an injury in two or three games. You know, you can come back and, you know, sometimes catch a team on an off night or just, you know, come back at your own pace. But then when it's the finals and it's really, um, you know, intense, high-paced, high-intensity uh, matchup, you could kind of notice that it was a little bit of a rust versus rest type of deal, and the timing was just off a little bit, especially running the plays, throwing the ball. I thought I thought Toronto also did a very good job of, of scouting on, on on the Warriors, and basically on those pick and rolls, they're just trapping them, which was I think is really good because a lot of times in the in the NBA you don't see too many too many bigs blitzing. Uh, ball screens but they made sure that if Steph had the ball they're blitzing the ball screen and, and just making it tough for him to get around that corner normally some bigs might show have a little flat hedge and then the player decides that they want to come downhill or you know snake the screen but they're saying nope we're gonna we're gonna blitz these ball screens and basically you're gonna get trapped and we're gonna get the ball out your hands and maybe that might be a fact because Kevin Durant's not playing. Because normally, if you got Durant, Clay Thompson, and Steph Curry, chances are, you know, and Draymond Green, you know, he could throw the ball to somebody that's a threat. But now that KD is kind of out of it, you know, you can you can probably you know take your chances on defense with Draymond, Clay. Obviously, they're going to probably have another better defender on them. But then after that, who does Golden State really have? So I really think what what it came down to was. And it always does. I think this is going to be a great finals matchup. And I think if you're really a basketball fan, this is going to be a great chess match. Great chess match. Let's see what the Warriors are going to do with their adjustments in game two. Um, I'm sure shaking off that game one rest, or not rust, excuse me, you see this will be a different team. Think about it. The Warriors were still in the game, and they didn't. They played a pretty crappy first half. I think well, they had like 10 turnovers in the first half. You can just tell. Um, and now going into game two, that's why I'm not getting excited about this. I don't understand. I don't understand what the Raptors fans are getting excited about. It's just one game. Remember, they were down 0-2 to Milwaukee, and everyone was punching Milwaukee's ticket to the finals, and then they won four straight. I mean, yeah, you could be Golden State, make it seem like it's, you know, going to be a series, and then, you know, Golden State can come in there and just, you know, rickroll them. And that happened against the Cavs. Think about that. The Cavs had a chance. This is actually, since we're taping this on a Friday, but we're going to air it on a Saturday. This is the anniversary when the Cavs played the Warriors in game one. And if it wasn't really for J.R. Smith's boneheaded play, the Cavs could have snuck in there and got a victory over the Warriors. But we all know what happened after that. The the Warriors pretty much gave them a beat down the next three games. So, I mean, usually game one is feeling on an opponent. They're going to go back. They're going to look at the film, make the adjustments that they need to make, and uh, and then that's what we're going to see. We're going to really see how much of an adjustment the, the, the Raptors can make and if they are for real. But I will say this. I'm not going to make any predictions. I do think this is going to be more of a competitive finals than what people thought. I mean, obviously – you watch the Warriors just dismantle Portland, but Portland just wasn't ready for the conference finals. You got, you got to figure they got swept by the, the Pelicans only a year ago. So, you know, they bounced back and they learned that lesson. But 
as you get further into the the finals, it's for the big boy teams and the experienced teams, and you know their lack of experience and their lack of having their big two kind of start to show up when they start playing the more talented teams. But I think you know Toronto doing pretty well with Kawhi pretty much injured, not really having a good game in the first game. Uh, I think this might go six or seven, but you know, at first people were just thinking that you know this was going to be an easy win for the the, the uh, Warriors. Yeah, and I think part of that is one thinking Toronto. Oh, you know they have Kawhi Leonard, one year rental. Kind of oh, he's just going to be gone after a year. Who's this Siakam guy? You know, Kyle Lowry has a playoff role. Okay, you have all these seasoned, grizzled veterans, but no real cohesion. And I think it was just. Kind of storyline that both state warriors just continue the dynasty, continue the dynasty. But if we really go look at the regular season matchups, Toronto really stifled Golden State even during those regular season matchups with Kevin Durant out there. And so if you think about not having to worry about Kevin Durant, we don't know if he'll be back for game three when it goes back to the Bay. But if that's kind of limiting the spacing that Clay and Steph can be able to run around as frequently and as often as they do, I think that really, one, helps Toronto stay out of foul trouble because the ball is not really going into the paint all that much. And then, two, it's basically, hey, if you want to play Golden State Warriors basketball and just outshoot us, then that's what you're going to have to do, just shoot the lights out of this gym. And in game one, they tried a little bit. I mean, we had... Jonas Jurepko out there shooting threes. And I'm like, come on. That just shows the every but at the same time, Bianca was on fire. Fred Van Vliet kind of had soft performance. Danny Green, of you know, grizzled veteran with finals experience. He got off this night. I mean, it's, like you said, it's going to be a chess match. And I'll be curious to see who, who dictates the offense. Because it seemed a lot of game one, it was Draymond kind of dictating the pace, trying to close things down on a couple of possessions when you would get the defensive rebound. And I'm wondering, also with that, and then also if H.U. Doll is going to get back. Because I don't know if he's going to play the rest of the series. No, they, said, they said that he should be back for game two. That is, it's not that serious. That, that's, that was the reports I was hearing. I don't know about him not being back for the series. Now, will he play at 100% in the series? I don't know, but he should be back. I mean, Curry and Thompson had 34 and 21 respectively. This is the question, though, is the depth for the Warriors. I mean, they don't have a lot of depth. I mean, DeMarcus Cousins is not going to do much for you. Uh, Sean Livingston's older. Maybe a couple years ago he'll give you something. Bogut's not going to do nothing for you. Um, Bell, Green, eh. I mean, you're going to get big. I think this is going to be a series where, you know, they're talking about – Finals MVP for Curry. I think he'll have a definite great finals. But I personally think if Iguodala can't get more, he is going to have to be in double digits himself. If he can't get more than double digits, um, it's it's going to be it's going to be very tough. For them. Like I said, the, the you know Looney not a bad player coming off the bench, but he's not going to do much for you. You know, Green, Draymond Green, he's going to do his thing too. But, I mean, he it looks like he's going to have to take over more of the Durant scoring load. I know he does other things as well, but he's going to he's gonna have to do better than just 10 points. I mean, he's going to have to at least get 15, 
to 18 points, and Iguodala's going to have to get at least 10 to 15 if they want to squeak out past the Raptors. Like I said, Kawhi Leonard, I mean, plus minus, plus 11, um, but he, you know, Siakam did really well. Um, because, like I said, if Gasol, Leonard, and Siakam play like they're playing, and Danny Green obviously chipping in, and Van Fleet coming off the bench with 15, they should win this um they should win this series. Now, here's here's another thing that you gotta you gotta think about too. They let Gasol shoot. They said Kerr said those were dare me shots. Their game plan was okay. We'll let Gasol shoot, and he killed them. Do they change that strategy for the next game? Yeah, and with the size or the lack of size, you're basically clearing out that paint to where Kawhi Leonard can drive. We know Siakam was basically just bodying Draymond Green, Andre Iguodala. It was like, didn't matter. He was just getting the ball at the low post on the block and just going to work. And so, kind of that's part of that defensive strategy. Do you keep letting the big shoot, knowing that you have another big down low who can get the rebound, and then you have a Kawhi Leonard who's just going to get whatever rebound because his hands are so big, and kind of just and then with the depth of size that Toronto has, they can bring Serge Ibaka off the bench for, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes to give either fouls or just give Marcus Hall some rest. But, yeah, at this point, you're going to see a lot of Provine Looney. We're going to see a lot of kind of some of those younger guys like McKinney. Well, you, you have to. I mean, with the Durant out, I mean, the only person that didn't play was Bogut. He was a DMP CD, did not play a coach's decision. But look at Toronto. They had four guys with DMP CDs. You know, Jeremy Lin didn't get in. Jody Meeks didn't get in. Eric Moreland didn't get in. Um, So, and Miller didn't get in. That's crazy that Jeremy – I forgot that Jeremy Lin was actually even on this team. And, you know, they had Lin Sanity for a while. But – like I said, I think the Raptors played really well. They caught up, uh, caught them a little off guard. Um, but now we're going to see what can the Warriors do to adjust. And not to mention they had the home court uh, factor. But I do think that, um, and it's great to see this, that the series is going to be competitive. Now, I, I thought that the, the, the series would be competitive, though, without Durant. Now, Durant can come back, which I don't, to be honest with you, I don't think he's coming back. I don't. I think it's more than just a calf strain. I personally think it's more of a Achilles. I mean, if it, you know, they saying that it was a calf strain. It's worse than they thought. Uh, the six weeks would be up by the time Game Six comes around. If that, uh, if it does get to a Game Six, um, that'll be in a week or two. Because obviously the finals are really spread out. Um, but the, but the fact of the matter is, I think. Kevin Durant's injury is a lot worse than what they're trying to speculate on. Yeah, and I think kind of going into the series, knowing that Kevin Durant would possibly be limited and we won't see him until late in the series, I thought it would be Warriors and Six just because of the experience factor and kind of having been here before. And Toronto, kind of similar with what we talked about Milwaukee, sometimes you got to lose in order to get over that hump and get better. But if Kawhi Leonard can even play at 80, 85%, knowing that he's still a little bit banged up. And if we can, I'm not going to say we're going to get that every game from Siakam, but if he can put up, you know, 20 and 10 or 25 and 15, 
like it's gonna it's gonna be like you said an interesting series, and I think this could go at least six, if not seven. And I, if it's game seven, that's all best are off. At home for Toronto, you have to give them the slight edge. Yeah, uh, no, I, I think I think it's gonna get tied up at one one. I mean, that's just me. I don't like like making predictions anymore, but. I think with the Warriors' resiliency and with you know they've been through, I mean, no lead is safe with <laughs> the Warriors. Uh, that was another thing. Remember, they they were chopping away at that lead too that the that the the, the Raptors had had. So um, I, I think you know they've been in this situation. They've got great coaching staff. They'll make their adjustments. You, you got to ask yourself though: Is, is Gasol going to have that night again? I mean, these are guys that you know is Gasol going to have twenty again? Um, Siakam, is he really going to have 32? I mean, you know, if you take away, if he has a good night for him, is usually getting 20 points. You take away 12 of those points from the Raptors, the Warriors win this this game one. So that that's going to be a, a question mark for the Raptors. Can they be consistent, consistent like this? Can they still keep this up? I mean, you know, Kyle Lowry only had seven, which is okay. But Danny Green, remember, he was he's plus two and plus minus differential but he was struggling since the Phillies late in the Philadelphia 76ers series and throughout the Milwaukee series you know can he still play like this or he's gonna go back to the old Danny Green so there's still some question marks up in the air with this Raptors team but I still feel that it's gonna be competitive but I think the Warriors are gonna be able to get this um, the win and it's and it's pretty crazy too to imagine that these team has been to the finals five straight years first time not playing um uh, the Cleveland. Yeah, and I think kind of just thinking grand scale, you have you know Toronto, kind of you know the team of a nation, and then Golden State, kind of this team that everyone loves to hate. I think in terms of just media wise, this if you think that this is going to be you know seven or you know, six more boring games, kind of if you're hardly mistaken, I don't think either game is. Like any of these other games are going to be real blowouts because each team has the ability with their superstars to be able to keep it close. And then in a close game within 10 points, flip a coin, anything can happen within a minute of time. That's two or three possessions. Yeah, and then you got to talk about the this is what's the crazy part. And before we kind of end this segment. So and and I had brought this question up to the the coaches at the place that I uh, coach at for travel ball. Just imagine this: the, the, the Raptors bet it on themselves. I mean, think about it. They traded a guy that that was popular, liked Demar Derozan, which obviously Kawhi Leonard is head and shoulders far better than DeMar, Demar Derozan. Which I think at the time when they made the deal, I thought that was a great deal. Um, but the question mark is firing Dwayne Casey, who ended up winning Coach of the Year. To bring in Nick Nurse, and a lot of people were like, well, "Why would you do that? Why would you?" Do that? I mean, let's face it. The, I mean, the, the, really, the hurdles in front of the Raptors was LeBron James. Let's face that. Yeah. Um, and then they upgraded their position. I mean, let, let's be honest. Kawhi Leonard is way better than DeMar DeRozan. I'm pretty sure if Kawhi Leonard was there instead of DeMar DeRozan, I think the Raptors probably could have got to the finals and knocked off the Cavs in one of those series they had played them in the last two years. But the fact of the main, main fact of the matter remains is this Nick Nurse rookie head coach in the NBA um, 
obviously has a lot of coaching experience, almost 30 years of coaching experience. But the fact of the matter does remain is this, is that is he a better coach than Wayne Casey because he's gotten the team over the hump and further and gotten at least a finals win? Uh, I would say in terms of the way that both teams play, now obviously it's based off of personnel. And if you think if Dwayne Casey had a year of Kawhi Leonard, you know, would it be similar? Yeah, that's what I'm wondering too. Yeah, and then even the development of a guy like Siakam, does he get as many minutes under Dwayne Casey? Or would Dwayne Casey look to be like, okay, Serge and Marcus are going to be my two big, you know, we'll have Siakam come off the bench, whereas it seems like Nick Nurse has really embraced Siakam and kind of helped him develop into more of a kind of a starting 3-4, kind of more at that four position, the stretch four. But, yeah, player development, and then obviously – this whole, you know, Kawhi Leonard guy. But I think he's real. Like, I think if this year DeMar DeRozan was still there, I don't think that they would have gotten past Philadelphia, much less Milwaukee. I think it takes a superstar to get over that hump. I think yes, this rookie head coach who's kind of uncharted territory, new playbook, new scheme, new way of doing things, you know, a little bit of a kind of new head coach smell. To kind of wear off just that honeymoon phase. But I'm wondering, could this possibly turn into a situation? And we talked talk about a couple weeks ago where kind of Dwayne Casey is the Mark Jackson to where Nick Nurse is, kind of to the Steve Kerr, to where you take him so far, we get not a superstar, but we get more time to develop, get these guys in, and then boom, look, leaves them out. Yeah, so he gets the residual, basically, you know. Mark Jackson and Dwayne Casey kind of put in the work to try and the time and tribulation to help build the team because that's what happens in the NBA. Let's face it, Jordan went through it, Isaiah went through it. Not really Larry and Magic, but it, 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 with all the champions, the Spurs, the Lakers with Shaq and Kobe, LeBron in the Miami years, LeBron in the Cavs. You know, you're gonna go through those trials and tribulations, and eventually you're gonna get over the hump. And a lot of times it's going to be a coach that's just going to be caught holding the bag and let go. And the next guy that comes in there, you know, I guess it's I guess it's just a, a, a thing of opportunity. And I think that's what Nick Nurse is. Now, he could have easily crashed this, obviously, but he hasn't. And I guess you got to give him credit for that. Yeah, and I think kind of majority, I'm sure, the ownership Messiah's year was basically like, look, we have Kawhi for a year. We need you to execute as He's close to perfect as you can to, to basically show that he should, you know, find long term here. And I think that's basically what that goal was. And maybe having a rookie head coach, I someone knew that kind of why can build under or kind of grow with Carter, however long Boylan actually stays in Toronto. But yeah, I'm curious to see kind of if Nick Nurse is. And we'll see this again, too, with the execution, knowing that kind of Golden State will make adjustments to see what, kind of what Toronto does. And then especially game three on the road. So that's going to be a whole different ballgame. How can you kind of switch it up? Because it's different going to Philadelphia or going to Milwaukee where they, like, they're good, they're solid teams, but they're still young teams. They'll seem to go on the road in the NBA Finals to the you know, three – Three titles, four years. So, yeah, at the end of the day, you have to give him credit because he's there. He's putting in the work this year. He's 
Don't have to know. He didn't, you know, blow things up. And to Toronto's credit, they haven't been hit with injuries either. Yeah, that well, Kawhi has been playing through some injuries uh, with with the quad and everything like that. But uh, we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up on this segment here on eighty eight point After further review, you know, doing an after a further review with the NBA Finals Game Three or excuse me, Game Two will be on Sunday, and then I believe Game Three is actually on Wednesday. Yep. So uh, very exciting. Huh? How you feel about your? What'd you say? It's good for Toronto. Um, I think he needs to kind of calm it down a little bit, though. You don't you don't have to be touching the players or talking trash to Draymond Green. I mean, a lot of people say, well, Spike Lee did it. You know, Nicholson did it. Um, but it's sometimes – it's great for TV. You know, you know I, I've been in this business long enough to know that any of the sideshows that can bring extra eyeballs to the game – is entertaining. People want to be entertained. We'll just put it to there. And, you, and I've, we've learned that on this show here. Sometimes Frank wants to be so analytical on the show and just talk all this sports knowledge and garble and gabble. And it's like, you know, people get bored by that, Frank. You know, people want to get be entertained. And that's what he is. He's entertaining. He's the side piece to this whole thing. And it, it's, 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 it's to me – a little over the top, but I kind of understand. It's been fun to watch, but for me as a basketball, I guess as a basketball purist, it's kind of like, man, go sit down somewhere. I mean, it's one thing to be a fan, but it just seemed, you know, like when they were doing the, the Easter Conference trophy presentation, Drake didn't need to be up there. Drake didn't need to be up there. I mean, let's face it, if Drake was performing at a concert, would he want the, all the basketball players up there and on, on on the stage and then be like, hold on, Drake, let me get my beat in or play a beat I like and let me get my verse in. You know what I'm saying? He would kind of be a little offended. At first, he'd probably be like, oh, okay, that's cool. But if the players just keep doing this all the time, he'd be like, look, dude, I'm this is my this is my stage and I and I'm performing. And that's the thing with me with basketball. You know, the court is their stage and they're performing. It's one thing to be a fan. It's one thing, you know, kind of troll a little bit, you know, wear the jerseys. But when you start kind of getting up and trying to talk trash like Kendrick Perkins last year, Draymond Green, and, you know, he's, he's trying to insert himself. And, you know, and, I, and, and it, it's going to start becoming more common because think about it. LeBron James does it at his son's AAU games. You know, LeBronny Jr. is at his AAU game. And the camera's always looking at the game, the play and then looking at LeBron. And it's just like, you know, or LeBron is standing on the sidelines and he's trying to coach. And it's like, come on, man. This is, this, this is where it comes to the point where, you know, you, you need to be in your lane. You know, and I'm not trying to go off on a rant or anything like that. But it's like, you know, look, you get your time to shine on the court, LeBron, when you're with the Lakers and all those things. And I know he kind of wants to get away from that brand after what came out after this past week. But anyway. You know, kind of be in the back, cheer a little bit. If you want to say stuff during halftime, that's cool. But this dude literally in the middle of the game will get up out of his seat in the corner and be walking all the way where the head coach is and trying to coach the game. And Drake is doing the same thing. And it's just like, like I said, you stay in your lane. You know what boundaries not to cross. And I just think that that's what, what basically is going on with this whole situation is that, you know, he's kind of crossing a little bit of boundaries. 
Um, but like I said, June 2nd, Sunday will be in Toronto. Obviously, all the games will be on ABC. Wednesday, June 5th, it's back to the Bay. Um, Friday again, they always they always have some games on Friday. It's Golden State, and then I believe it goes back to another Sunday if if necessary. Um, obviously, um, Sunday will be an eight o'clock tip. Wednesday and Friday are nine o'clock Eastern Standard Time tips. Yeah, and I think kind of real quick, my two cents on Drake. This is what happens when you let kind of music moguls kind of be brand ambassadors because then they'll – I think you really just need to take the Jay-Z approach. Just, you see them games every once in a while, but Jay-Z don't talk trash. No. Jay-Z just – No, you're right. You, you know, you're totally right. Jay-Z doesn't talk trash. Jay-Z, well, he sits there. He's also there with Beyonce, and Beyonce probably tells him to sit down. But yeah. Spike Lee growing up, it was funny to see Spike Lee – he's like a regular fan talking trash, but he's kind of in his vicinity sitting in the seat. And after the game is over, the game is over, he's not getting up trying to go find players and try to talk trash or, you know, insert, insert himself as though he's part of the organization. You know, you're a fan. You can go there and cheer. If you want to do a halftime show outside of the, 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 the arena, great. But when you start trying to be all up on the coach and giving them massages, and or so, I could, I wouldn't be surprised if he tries to walk up and try to be looking in what's going on during the timeout. And I think the NBA needs to review. I mean, review this too because I don't like how they do the setup either. You know, and I guess maybe that's because I'm a basketball coach and I'm, you know, I like the love of the game. You know, you got to have that safe space. You got to have that buffer zone. And I understand Adam Silver's trying to make the game where it's trying to be more inclusive and you know fans you know but how much access do the fans need i mean it's to the point where you know they're an unofficial employee it's like the look dude you know like i said go and enjoy the game but you know this is their stage the players the court is their stage let them perform and i don't like how they have it where now they've kind of done a pretty good job of this where they before you know they used to have it where the fans can sit right next to the coach on the bench. You know that to me, mm, I, I don't, I don't, I don't like that. That that to me is just too close. But now they've done it where they've split up the scores table, where part of the scores table is in between the coaches and the fans, and then another part of the scores table splits them up a little bit. Then there's fans, and then the scores table kind of splits it up, and then there's the the visiting team or other home team's bench. So the the they're still on the court side, but. You know, they're kind of separated, and, and that's what I kind of like about that. But personally, I really wanted to go back to where Drake is sitting on the other side of the bench so he can't be interacting with the players because think about it. That's where the how the NBA is. And, I mean, after the malice from the palace, you I mean, it was pretty much you had the drapes over, the, you know, the tunnels so people couldn't throw anything. And now I've noticed now that ever since the malice of the palace, they've kind of, drawn back on that stuff i remember when i was going to pistons games a few years ago they still had the thing draped over the players so no one would throw anything but i think as adam silver has become commissioner he's kind of made it more where it's interactive with the fans and uh, you got to be careful with that um because there's some crazy people out there and you don't want them to get too close to the entertainers so um i think the nba needs to kind of look at that Uh, maybe i'm being old-fashioned or whatnot, but I really think that that space with the scores table and the bench needs to be the player zone, the buffer zone, 
and Drake needs to sit on the other side like Spike and Jack Nicholson used to do on that side of the court. You still kind of have some access to the players, but you know you can't really step on the court and start touching them. I think you got too much of an access sitting on that side where the scorer's table is where players actually have to walk past you to go check into the game. That, to me, is eh, that's just asking for trouble. So I'll, I'll let Drake know that you, that you don't want him at your travel basketball game. Just so you know. He has to give you a massage. I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure Drake <laughs> has a lot more important things to do than come to a, a travel basketball game for the Glass City <laughs> Fury. I mean, heck, he's not even going to Bronny Jr.'s game. But that's just me. I don't, and I think people got to be just careful of that. I mean, you know, the coaches are there to coach. The players are there to play. You are a fan. Sit your butt down and watch the game. That point blank period. But we, we're getting into a society where people just want to overstep their bounds and, and switch lanes and then have the nerve to get mad when you check them about it. You know, just sit down and just enjoy the game like everybody else. Sounds like a good life lesson. Yeah. Well, that'll do it for this segment here on 88.3 WCTs. After further review, got a half hour in. Only want to probably do about 20 minutes of this segment. So we 10 minutes over, but we had to get that little rant out for you. Coming up next, David talks a little bit about the pros and cons of ex-players becoming college head coaches or just head coaches in general. Specifically college head coaches, but we can look at ex-pros that have come back and coaching in the pros. We've seen a couple examples this year. All right. We'll have that and more here on 88.3 WGTs after further review. We'll be back after this. Make sure also you check us out on SoundCloud and iTunes and rate us. Jacob Lethal Beats. 